Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Attendance Bias. I am your host, Brian Weinstein. Today's guest is fire dancer Kate of Austin, Texas. You know, at the beginning of this podcast, I was surprised that so many guests picked shows from 1999, but now that we are two years into the show, a new trend has developed. Fish's holiday runs. For a multitude of reasons, many special moments in Fish history happened during the holiday run. By now, at least six guests have come on attendance bias to talk about a personal experience they've had from one of the legendary Fish shows between December 28th and 31st of any given year. For this episode, Kate picked the cream of the crop, Fish's show from December 30th, 1997 at Madison Square Garden. While the 1994 and 1995 holiday runs have been covered on attendance bias, this is the first time that the 1997 run of shows has been chosen by a guest. It's a personal thrill for me because this was the stretch when I saw Fish live for the first time. For Kate, it wasn't her first time, but you'll hear how this show on the 30th was the time that she got it and decided that she was all in on this band that we all love so much. So put on your best speakers, get your lunch boxes full of olive loaves and fried eggs, and make sure that you make the last train out of Penn Station as Kate tells her story about the December 30th, 1997 show at Madison Square Garden. Kate, welcome to Attendance Bias. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me, Brian. My pleasure. Very excited to talk about the show today that you chose, which is December 30th, 1997 at Madison Square Garden. Normally, I have a printout or at least a big document on my screen. So I remember the date and the location of the show the guest chooses. I don't need that today because this show is completely embedded in my DNA and you're the guest. So we'll hear your side of it. But I am just so excited to talk about it with you. I'm excited to talk about it too. Brian, I don't think we have attendance bias at all. We were there. We know this is an awesome show. I actually was not there. I was not. My attendance bias is for the night before the 29th because that was my first show. You told me that was your first show, so I just assumed you came to the whole run. If you ever want to hear about the one that got away, every fan has it, right? The show that you've wanted to go to or you had tickets for and couldn't make it or for whatever reason, you couldn't get there. The 30th was my one that got away. I was very young, but my friend called me the next morning on the 30th, the day after my first show and said, hey, I have a ticket, uh, an extra ticket. I'm not going, but my friend has it. Do you want it? And I was 15 years old, very young in fish life. And I was certainly not ready to go to a show by myself, let alone going to see the same band two nights in a row was a foreign concept to me at the time. And it just, I said, no, that's okay. And if you really want to hear the kicker, the next day when I saw the set list, I looked at it and said, oh, well, they didn't really play a lot of songs I know. So it's all right that I missed it. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I feel like this is exactly what I want to talk about, about how this is a lot of the times I, I didn't even know it, uh, half the songs that they were playing. And it was the first time I was hearing all of it. And, you know, for, it was my third show. And it's the night I was a fa- became a fan for life. Everyone's got it. And this is as good as any other. And I would argue better than most. But before we get into Fish or hearing about you as a fan, I am thrilled to talk to you because you do something 
that I've never seen or heard of anyone else doing, and that is you are a fire dancer, quite literally. Yes, yes, I am. And I've been doing it basically my whole adult life. I saw fire dancing for the first time when I was in college. I was living in Berkeley, California for the summer in a group co-op house, you know, students from all over the world. And there was this woman who was part of the UC Berkeley uh, Polynesian dance troupe, and she was practicing poi dancing in the backyard. And gosh, I mean, we're just like, oh my God, she's dancing with fire. Like that looks amazing. And, you know, with no agenda that I wanted to, you know, that I was going to take to it or get good at it or anything. I'm just like, I want to try that. So uh, I did. And I'm a reasonably coordinated human because I grew up doing, you know, dance and cheerleading and sports. So, yeah, I picked up fire dancing and, you know, haven't stopped since 2004. <laughs> and it's made you or fire dancing in general are made for visual art, for photography, because even if you're bad at it and you are not, but even if one is, it looks cool as hell. It does look cool as hell. I mean, I always say that to beginners, you know, don't be intimidated because everyone looks cool on fire. And how can people see you on a regular basis with uh, with fire dancing? Well, yes. Yeah. So I live in Austin, Texas, and I am part of a performance group called the Purple Bee Crew. And Purple Bee is a professional recording studio and live stream production soundstage uh, it's just a little bit east of town. Um, it's all musicians and uh, dreamers making live music experiences <laughs> that we aim to entertain and connect. And that's so purple that, B, B-E-E, as in the insect, right? Yes, purple like the color, be like the insects. I mean, we're building a hive and it's pretty sweet. So how you can participate with us is that we broadcast all of our shows on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook Live, and also in the metaverse on Decentraland. So uh, if you don't need to have a crypto wallet to do Decentraland, you know, you can just sign up on the website, sign in as a guest and, you know, wander around our virtual stage. So we have lots of ways to connect with people, whether they're in Austin or beyond. And so every Wednesday we do a show and it's called the Wednesday Groove Party. And there's two house bands, Jagtronica and Lobos. Uh, one is a little bit more electronic jam. The other one is a little bit more uh, just a groove-driven music. But um, we play three to four hours of improvisational music every single Wednesday. And we have a jam wheel. So if you donate to the show, we spin the wheel of jam. And that seeds whatever the next sh song is going to be. So... You know, all kinds of different musicians. Uh, we have an MC who who raps on top of tracks. Uh, we have uh, me doing fire dancing. Um, uh, we also have a visual artist who's doing live visual art that gets beamed over the show, too. So we have a lot going on. It's pretty cool, actually. I mean, uh, I heard that fishy people tend to like type two space jams. You should watch our show. You were home on Wednesday doing your laundry anyway. Tune in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I uh I can definitely attest to the crossover between fish fans and spacey funk jam. So I am in. I'm a little afraid of the metaverse, though, I have to say. Uh being 39 years old and raised on a steady diet of internet thrillers from the early 90s when people didn't really know what the internet would become 
and it always ends in some evil way. I'm a little afraid of putting on a VR helmet, but I can easily watch you on my screen. Well, to uh, to participate in uh, our metaverse stage, you just need a normal laptop. You don't need to have an Oculus or anything like that. And um, I mean, I always put it on Twitter and Instagram every week about it. And here's the link to our Decentraland stage. So, you know, if you ever catch any any link that I post, just click right on it. It'll take you to Decentraland and you can sign in as a guest, make your little, you know, avatar guy, and then it'll drop you right into our stage and you can wander around and see what we're doing. And anyone listening, I will put any links uh, to Purple Bee or to any of these broadcasts in the show notes. So if you are interested, just check those today. Well, I also wanted to share that we're doing a special show to benefit the Mockingbird Foundation in early March. So all the donations that we raise on that show are going to go to the Mockingbird Foundation. And as those details get hashed out and come together, I'll be sure to uh, help share that information. So it sounds like a really wonderful event. And so we hear a bit about you as a fire dancer and your shows coming up fundraisers, but let's back it up a little bit and let's hear about you as a fish fan through the attendance bias lightning round. You ready? Yes. Attendance bias lightning round. All right, Kate. So when was your first fish show? So my first show was December 30th, 1995. So Brian, I'm two years older than you. I was 15 <laughs> and uh, growing up in New Jersey, you know, my friends and I heard that Fish was playing for New Year's. We were really excited about it. So we went to Tower Records, got in line, you know, to buy tickets and we got there really early and we were really excited being first in line. And then about an hour later, everyone who got their wristbands while we were in like third period or whatever the day before all showed up. So we got kicked <laughs> to the back of the line. <laughs> so we weren't able to buy New Year's Eve tickets, but we bought uh, New Year's Eve Eve tickets. And sure. that was my first show. What was your most recent show and what did you think of it? Oh, my God. OK, my most recent show was Vegas. So I guess it was the last show. And I loved it so much. Um I know that sci-fi soldiers is kind of a love-hate thing, but I am definitely on the side of love. I mean, and I think the whole music has a pretty strong message, too, that if you can get out of your own way and take the proverbial knee out of your head, you can clear your mind. And also, I have to say, like, I went to Vegas kind of on a whim. I didn't really have any plan. I just sort of, you know, threw a bunch of stuff in the bag and was like, okay, I'm going to Vegas last minute because tickets came together last minute. So I was listening to the um, the show from the night before Halloween with my roomies getting ready for the show. And, you know, we're listening to the Harpua and they're talking all about, you know, Holy Blankenstein is the voice of Iculus. I, you know, I just announced to all my friends, guys, that's my costume. I'm going as Holy Blankenstein. <laughs> Holy Blankenstein is a rancher because I have cowgirl stuff with me. Holy Blankenstein is a rancher who owns all the land at the bottom of, of Mount Iculus. I mean... We were all laughing so much. We invented this really elaborate backstory. I mean, we didn't even know what we were doing, right? You know, we're just being silly, creative, just getting ready for the fish show with your old best friends, right? That, that sounds so like then, fish in Vegas for sure. Totally. So, you know, we go to the show and the whole entire time, like I'm introducing myself to people. Hi, I'm Holy Blankenstein, voice of Iculus. I own, I own all the land below Mount Iculus. so um yeah then the sci-fi soldiers happens and it's all holy blankenstein and everyone around us because you know i've introduced myself as you know holy blankenstein to everybody is like 
what? Anyway, so uh, <laughs> so I really, really hope there are another couple creative souls who were doing the same and had completely different interpretations of Coley Blankenstein in the Sam arena, but I loved it. We had a blast. If you had to pick one fish song to fire dance to, what would it be? Well, Fuego, duh. I mean, duh. I do my own stunts. I shouldn't have even asked that. <laughs> Uh, it's it's a, that's a question that answers itself. But honestly, Fuego is a good answer because the song changes tempo a lot. It's an interesting song to dance around to. You know, it go, it's like Fuego's go places. If you were to introduce someone who, uh, who wanted to learn about fish, what would you give him or her? Well, I would give them what got me into fish is a live one. I mean, a live one is super accessible. You know, it also really captures the spirit of live performance, which is, you know, a lot of the magic of fish. Um, and, you know, the songs are all amazing. I mean, gosh, you know, high school me, it was like that, that stash, it's been love ever since, you know? <laughs> there was a good maybe four years or so that when I was not first driving because I didn't have a CD player in my car yet, but the first car that I did have that had a CD player, a live one just never left. It was just a yeah. permanent resident. It owned the car CD player. Seriously. Oh. I mean, my whole family had to listen to a live one because I listened to a live one. <laughs> my mom had to listen to a picture of Nectar over and over and over again because I didn't have a license yet when I got into fish. And I just remember her saying, uh, tweezer again. What is this with the tweezer? Because what is it, this with the tweezer? Yeah, you know, because it closes the with tweezer. <laughs> well, of course, but they close it with tweezer reprise. So she wasn't expecting that after the track proper, after tweezer the song. And she thought tweezer was over after that ended. And then when they closed the album with tweezer reprise, that's when the uh again with the tweezer would come in. <laughs> God bless my 1990 Volvo 740 GLE. Mm. Say a prayer for it. Yeah. Uh, What is your most controversial fish opinion? Okay. This is a controversial one, Brian, because people don't like you're here. That's that's why you're here. I like to hear it, even if I don't agree with it, but I don't know what it is yet. Okay. Well, uh, my controversial opinion, and this is an opinion that a lot of people have about really great songs like Reba and Prince Caspian, but you say this about the song I'm about to say to you, people get real bent out of shape, right? So I think Ghost is a boring song that ends in a great jam. So Ghost is a perfect song to go run your show errands. You know, if you need another <laughs> bottle of water, get it at the beginning of Ghost. You'll be back with your friends by the time the good part starts. You need a bathroom break. There will not be a line. I guarantee you, you'll be in and out. I mean, Ghost, do it. Right now, as you were speaking, I have a pen in my hand and I was just opening and closing the cap about 10 or 12 times, not only because I disagree with you, but because I feel the same way about so many songs and the way you just verbalized it kind of, it was almost like a therapy session where it was like hearing someone else say it made me come to my own conclusions that I have to deal with because there's a lot of songs that in the beginning of it, I go to the bathroom, I go get a beer or whatever, because I know I'll be back in time for the good stuff. And exactly. And a lot of people won't like it. Good stuff. Ghost is always good stuff. Once they're done with the song part of ghost and they're just playing the jam of ghost. On your more positive level, what is your favorite post-show snack? Oh, tacos. Clearly. I mean, make every day <laughs> taco Tuesday. Fair enough. Taco Tuesday. And then fire dancing Wednesday. That's exactly right. 
Can't go wrong. What a back-to-back midweek. Uh, what is the weirdest thing you've ever seen at a fish show? Jeez, I mean, there's so many weird things at fish shows. <laughs> I know. That's why it's so fun. I mean, man, I, I almost feel like just even like my friends are the weirdest thing I see at a fish show. <laughs> <laughs> No one said that yet. That's a great answer. But seriously, you know, I mean, my friends are the best. I mean, just silly and random and ridiculous. And every single time, I mean, we've invented this song, like, to the tune of Jefferson Starship, You Built This City, but it's in Commerce City. We rocked and rolled. I mean, just having a blast doing silly, like, the it's like the little things that are just, you know, make you delight in seeing your best friends. And why you do it several weekends a year and why 20 plus years later, you've been to over a hundred shows. The math works that way. When was this show played? So let's time travel 25 years coming up on 25 years right now. It's only February, but come December, we're going to have a reckoning of our uh, own mortality. 25 years since this show, December 30th, 1997. The 97 holiday run was made up of four shows from the 28th to the 31st. And most previous holiday runs bounced from one venue to the next and later holiday runs, which we're familiar with now and a lot of newer fans would be, are mostly consecutive shows at the same venue, mostly MSG or Miami, of course. But this one is kind of unique because the 28th was played at the U.S. Air Arena, Lord knows if it's still called that, in Landover, Maryland, which is a venue they've only played once before and haven't played since. And then the 29th to the 31st at Madison Square Garden. I still haven't heard that 28th show, by the way. Have you? No, I haven't either. I feel like I just learned. I mean, actually, I just put up fishnet so I could look at the set list while we're talking. And uh I didn't even realize there was a show on the 28th. To me, this holiday run is just three MSG shows. Right. And I, I feel like most people figure that. Uh, anyone listening, if you were at that 28th show, give me a call. Come get in touch with me because I want to hear everything about it. The only thing I know about it without looking at the set list in front of me, I remember hanging around Madison Square Garden before the 29th. I just hearing some guy go, oh, they played cities last night. Cool. So that's all I know is that night they played cities and I'll just have to go back and listen to it. But uh, the 97 holiday run, the way I see it, it was like a victory lap after this incredible year, the summer tour of 97 and that unbelievable fall tour of fish destroys America. Uh, and it only ended that tour about two weeks before these shows. The last show of that tour was December 13th in Albany. I've always considered the holiday run to be an extension of that fall tour, but apparently I'm the only one. I put a poll out on Twitter with the question, does the 97 holiday run count as part of the fall tour? And it was something like eight to one votes where people said, no way. What are you insane? But it it sounds the same. I've never thought about that before. Um, I mean, I feel like the New Year's run is really kind of its own jam every single time because, you know, it leads up to, you know, the whatever the stunt for all things sign is going to be, um, you know, the start of a new year. You're not totally wrong. It has a lot of the same, you know, synth effects that they didn't really do previously. 
I mean, I guess we'll talk about it later, but especially when, um, you know, Harry Hood is very, very space jammy, <laughs> like even right at the beginning, you know, it's, uh, you know, just listening back through this show with, you know, my current play with a group of space jam guys every week eyes. I'm like, wow, this is, this is a show that's it's very uh, like like the type of music that we all currently play. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, they were ahead of their time for sure. And this holiday run, at least as far as I remember and know, had no real theme or special gag compared to the ones that came after it. I mean, even 98, when I saw three out of four shows, had that kind of garden uh, and a dancer set up with like, uh, caterpillars and stuff dancing around and fairy dancers and every run thereafter had a big moment for new year's eve which you know we now call the gag uh and the closest thing to something a running theme in this would be i guess the utter ball which is what yeah we'll the utter ball yeah and then the debut of new york new york for the encore on new year's eve the sinatra song but other than that there's nothing really cohesive you know, it didn't build up to anything, which I'm not saying is a criticism or or is a compliment. It just is or was, I guess. Well, I feel like this show is the crescendo with the, uh, you know, the utter ball and Tom Marshall and like all of it. You know, I mean, that was like the whoa, standout wow effect of the weekend. But then the next night when they played it or, you know, when they hearkened back to the utter ball again, I mean, people were laughing. I mean, it was, uh, oh my gosh, it was like the best, you know, it was like, yes, you know, (laughs) I I mean, I just remember that as like, it's, um, it's the same feeling of, I mean, for instance, I was at the music New Year's in, you know, 2013, that, uh, that like the big, or maybe that was 2011. It was 2010. 2010. Yeah. I don't know. Early 3.0. I got all my dates, you know, (laughs) whoosh. Uh, I'm not the professional archivist. I'm the fire dancer that you're interviewing. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's that same feeling of the like, yes, moment that, you know, you still have that without the big elaborate stage show because we had the big elaborate stage show the night before during this show that we're talking about. Yeah, it's and it really is. I can't scream the way you just did, but I'll just I'll let you have that one. Uh, This show, because of my attendance bias, in my opinion, is forever locked in like a wonderful battle that compares it with the 29th. Uh, You know, I don't want to talk about that too much because this episode will never end. And it's you. You are the spotlight here. But while the 29th features like impeccable segues, uh, all time greatest versions of at least four songs are in the conversation theme from the bottom. That's the best yeah. theme of the bottom ever. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of the best antelopes ever. And two, uh, I'm all right. I'm shutting up about that. Cause I'll, I'll just go off on the worst tangent in the world. Uh, I mean, but, I was there too. We can appreciate that show. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. But, but I'm, um, it's, but that's my point. It's like, you almost can't talk about the 29th without mentioning the 30th and vice versa. You know, it's it's two sides of a coin. If you put both of them together as like a double show release, official release, you know, which Fish eventually did. To me, it's the perfect encapsulation of what Fish is or not is, but was and what they could be. It's everything great about the band in the course of two nights. 
What I love most about this show on the 30th, and of course, we'll get more detailed about it, is it kind of showcased the goofiness of the band, whereas the 29th is more about fluidity and musical dexterity, uh, set list choices. This show is more about like anything goes at a fish show. Anything. Right? Yeah. Anything and everything goes at a fish show. <laughs> <laughs> so before we dig into the song by song breakdown, give us a little bit of background, Kate. Who were you? in the winter of 97 that led you to this show? Well, so you were 15. I was 17. You know, I took the train. I was staying at my parents' house because that's where I lived. (laughs) Uh, Took the train with uh, my high school boyfriend from the town that we live in, you know, the Nebone connects to Penn Station. So, (laughs) you know, and in the late 90s, parents let their kids take trains places. (laughs) Of course, that's how I got to the show. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, the, the helicopter parents weren't a thing and you knew you were going to be in really big trouble if you missed the last train home. So, oh, yeah. you know, they trusted us to go. So, um, you know, took the train to Madison Square Garden, walked upstairs, found our seats. And I mean, I remember old Madison Square Garden, we had 300 level tickets and we were kind of in the center of the arena, you know, like right where the scoreboard is. So we had just the wide open bowl view of everything. I mean, it was awesome. So why did you pick this show of all the shows you've attended? Why does the 30th stand out to you personally? Why do you have attendance bias? Well, I don't think I have attendance bias at all. I think this is one of the greatest fish shows that ever existed. And it's the night that I became a fan for life. (laughs) I mean, I was already a big fan. Um, This is the third fish show I went to. Uh, Like I said, uh, 1995, December 30th, that was my first show. And the 30th, so, you know, not, it's my first fishy-versary show I got to go to. Then in 1996, when Fish came and played at Madison Square Garden, it was weeknight shows. And, you know, there was no convincing my parents that I could go see Fish on a weekday night. It was a Tuesday and a a Wednesday, the 21st and 22nd of October. Yes. So I could could not go to those shows. So this was my next opportunity, you know. Um, I was 17. Uh, fish was playing. It was over, over Christmas break. You know, there's, it's not a school night, you know, going to all the shows was definitely allowed. Got good grades the semester before. So it was okay. <laughs> you know, use my babysitting and lifeguarding money to pay for tickets from mail order, you know, when the Doniac Schweiss would be sent in the mail and, you know, tell you all the funny updates in between fish shows. I mean, I love that stuff. I mean, you know, getting Mike's corner in the mail, like, Oh, you know, loved it so much. Set one. The opener of the first set really makes a statement here. They open with Sneakin' Sally through the alley. And if it were 2022, it would be exciting. But this was a completely out of nowhere left field call. Because for anyone who would check the set list on .NET, This was the first performance of this song in, according to .NET, 920 shows. Maybe the biggest breakout ever up to that point. Yes, I remember because, you know, we, of course, you know, you befriend your seat neighbors. (laughs) Always. That's what this show is all about. It's like you want to, I want to talk to people as if I'm sitting down next to them at a show and we're just swapping stories. No, absolutely. So, um, you know, my high school boyfriend and I were at this show and we're, you know, we're very young for being there. And 
a couple of people around us, you know, were making a really big deal. They're like, oh, Sneaking Sally, they never play this. And we're like, well, we don't know this song. Great, they never play this. <laughs> so, you know, for us, it was completely fresh eyes. And, you know, I mean, I didn't even have the internet until I was away at college. So, you know, it's not like, I had any rec music fish friends or anything to, you know, know that this was, or I didn't even have tapes yet, you know, like a live one was my first and only, you know, live fish recording I had access to at that point in life. And it just, it just really sets the tone. I also, by the way, I had, I had a quite a bit, a quite a few tapes actually, uh, um, but I still never knew this song. You know, this is the essence of like I told you when I checked the next day and said, "Oh well, I didn't know a lot of songs they played." This kind of set that tone for me as a noob. You know, I didn't know much about it, but listening back to it, this is like a perfect choice for 1997, considering their funk style at the time. It's almost surprising that they didn't play it that year before this date. You could hear how excited they are. I wrote in capital letters on our notes at about almost 10 minutes, funk siren alert. Like that's how you know it's on. funky i mean i loved living re-listening to this show and reliving it because i mean between you and me i feel like i always just skip right to the mcgrupp (laughs) (laughs) you know doing this like really had me like oh oh, yeah the whole entire show is awesome you know like don't don't discount the whole rest of it and the rest of it goes right into taste uh, at the end of sink and sally's segues it had been around since 1995 but they kind of futzed around with it uh, before settling on it uh, in Europe, summer 96. And 97 was a great year for taste. You know, polyrhythms, oh, yeah. piano, guitar, there were leads all over the place. It It's almost kind of, the way I hear it, is almost limb by limb's cousin. Taste yes. and limb by limb, musically speaking. They sound very closely related. Uh, it's Some people, uh, according to the jam charts, consider it one of the best versions ever. I kind of think they all sound alike, which is not a bad thing. I love this song. Yeah, they should play more taste. That, that song's tasty. I like it. 
It is indeed. Uh, next up is Water in the Sky, which oh, I miss this. I'm I'm such a traditionalist. I'm a I'm a fish purist sometimes to my own detriment. But it's the old country version. I loved it. I mean, you know, I was thinking when we were listening to it, I'm like, oh, it reminds me of Ginseng Sullivan, you know? Yeah. <laughs> because... <laughs> played this way i looked it up until uh june 30th 98 in copenhagen and then it joined taste and limb by limb as the 1997 class of i called it fast songs with fishman on cowbell yeah joined i mean that's absolutely correct <laughs> class of 97 class of 97 i love it when fish gets weird though i mean even you know he was getting weird with the cowbell back then he's getting weird with his you know effects box now i love it yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) after water in the sky punch you in the eye which i had i wrote down awesome spot for it we're so used to it as a set opener and just right in the middle of the first set what a pump up energy jolt after water in the sky and then they go right into stash it's yes yeah the, i mean the punch pr- and stash are two of my very favorite songs i mean there's no bad placement for a punch you in the eye i mean punch me in my eye at every show i'll never be bored <laughs> with it apparently the person who was standing right next to the mic of this audience recording that i used claps three times during stash how many times do you clap during the breaks and stash well that's a well, this is a controversial question. What are you trying to get me to admit, Brian? <laughs> we ask we ask the hard questions here. I'm Barbara Walters. <laughs> well, how many how many claps do you make, Brian? Two. 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 Hmm. That's how I heard yeah. it on a live one. I feel like it, it's it's three fat claps though. <laughs> maybe I just had shitty speakers. <laughs> that maybe. How many do you? How many times do you clap? Well, and now I'm thinking about this. I'm like, huh. All right, let's I do think it. it is let's... kind of a, a, a group think thing. You know, it's it's uh <laughs> who's clapping around you, you're clapping right along with them. No, I am my own clapper. Do 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 let's do it. Do 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 I do three. I do three. All right, you're a three-time clapper. I am a three-time clapper. Musically, though, this stash is something to listen to. I can't tell. Yet, if it's going to be dark or light, right when the jam starts, I was really on the edge of my seat, even though I've heard this a billion times. But it gets really close to Manteca at some points. Trey's guitar tone is all over the place. He's repeating phrases instead of noodling. It gets, I wrote, fairly nuts at some point. 
And yet it had a very sedate, (laughs) it had a very sedate ending. It kind of closes down a little bit before going into chalk dust. too what were you thinking do you remember your attitude at this point like right in the thick of the first set they're almost playing all jam songs oh yeah well i mean we we well okay because uh you know being a 17 year old uh can't i live while i'm young that just resonates <laughs> i mean you love that song when you're that age but you know i love that song at my current age too I do too. And I love that it's developed into a jam vehicle after being roughly the same straight ahead uh, Zeppelin rock song for what probably close to 30 something years. And now it's all of a sudden when they start it, you never know where it's going to go. I'm never mad at a Zeppelin hard rock song, though. <laughs> Can't be. Uh, and there's an insane solo in this Chalk Dust Torture. Uh, I figured this would, would end the set because even though it's, let me see, it's only about. One, two, three, four, five, six songs. Chalk Dust is only the sixth song. And it's a standard, I think, hour and 13 minute set. And that's, you know, that's enough. That's that's standard. But they don't. They close it with a day in the life. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's one of the best closers ever. It was actually the encore of my first show. That's right. That's right. So, you know, for my third fish show, it's the second time I heard that. (laughs) Set two. The second set is really where things take off in this show. And that's not to say anything about the first set. The first set is fabulous. And for those of you at home who are only listening, uh, Kate just made a little heart with her fingers and pushed it all the way to the front of the camera. Where does this set lie in your personal emotional history with fish? Oh my God. Like some of the best fish I've ever seen in my life. And I've seen some awesome fish shows, you know, but this is like the height of, you know, that was the night that I was like, okay, I'm a fish fan. Buckle up. We're going to lots of shows now. Right. So this is the set that did it for you. Oh yeah. And before we get into the music, I must say that it is insane capital letters insane that this set is an hour and 49 minutes that's longer than most mainstream bands full shows it's true 
you know, you see a band like the killers or Beyonce or whoever, but like Paul McCartney shows are about two hours long. And this single set is an hour and 49. It's unbelievable. I can't tell you how many times I've listened to this set opening ACDC bag, but this is your show. What do you think? Oh, man. Well, I mean, and to your point, too, I mean, this whole set, this whole set even has Beyonce moments in it. I mean, (laughs) only picture Fishman in a Beyonce dress, but you go on. (laughs) Well, okay, I meant Tom Marshall and the fog machines and everything. But yeah, I mean, the ACDC bag, I mean, you know, we uh, we hear it regularly as a second set opener. It always brings really awesome energy and then it goes places. And this is no different. And it's probably the first, it, no, yeah, it's absolutely the first time I saw a second set ACDC bag opener. And I'm every, I'm happy every single time I hear it since, you know? See, and I'd have to push back a little bit on what you said, not emotionally, of course, because this is fabulous. It's definitely in contention for the best version of the song ever, but it is different. I think so, at least. I don't want to state it like a fact. I don't mean it that way. But Well, I I, didn't say that they played it the same. I said that, you know, it's that same feeling. You know, this is the first time I saw an ACDC bag opener for the second set, and it blew minds. (laughs) (laughs) It it still blows minds. version i still just i you know because of this because this was my first like i I love hearing an ac dc bag second set opener every single time me too but this one in particular it you know page has teases it drifts around like i don't know what guitar effect is at about seven minutes and 25 seconds but i've always loved it this is when i turn on uh, fish radio on Sirius and without looking about what's being played that effect at about seven minutes and 30 seconds. That's the tell for me. Yeah. It's this weird kind of backwards ish. Um, I don't know. I'm going to stumble. My, my vocabulary is not advanced enough to describe it. It's just so good. And it speaks right to my heart.
love that. And there are people, though, it should be noted, who at the time, if you remember, didn't really like the 97 funk. There were people who thought it was too repetitive and didn't go anywhere. And it was the same every night. I pity them. But right in the thick of this jam is probably what they meant. You know, it's interesting, though, because, uh, you know, when people say things like that, when I was at this show, I mean, Brian, you know, put yourself back in the time and place, you know. It's my third show. I don't have the internet. You know, <laughs> I don't know that people are saying this. <laughs> so to me, I'm just in, I'm just along for the ride and just grateful to be there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I still feel that way. By the way, that you know, every time they do something fun and different or a good jam, even if it's one out of a whole show, it's I'm still grateful to be there. Although now, fish is much more accessible than they ever have been, at least recordings are, you know, compared to what you were saying that you weren't able to get tapes or talk to people on rec music fish and social media didn't exist. Now it's almost hyper accessible or it's too accessible and people can get jaded so quickly, but not oh, at sure. This people point. are mad when the set lists aren't, you know, ready immediately. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And then after this monster ACDC bag that runs for about a half hour, by the way, uh, they go right into McGrupp, the part that you fast forward to. Why? What is it about this? Oh McGrupp? man! Well, McGrupp, it's you know, it's 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 the lead up to the umpapa, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's an appetizer for you. Is that why? Uh, to me, well, okay. I also just love the song McGrupp so much. I mean, uh, if if you ever meet my Jeep, its name is McGrupp. Oh. Uh, but you know, this is just it's you know the. Every single time a group takes you on a beautiful journey and, you know, it's like you can just hear like Paige is painting the scenery like with his keyboards. McGrupp is, I just love it. Just love it. I do and this too. one goes, this one's a long McGrupp too. I mean, and Paige gets like real weird in the middle of it. So, I mean, and I am definitely, you know, I grew up playing piano. I always connect to Paige. I mean, Paige side, Rage side is real. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I play air keyboards when I dance around to fish shows. I mean, if you ever see me at a show, like, just watch me do it because I'll do it the whole time. So <laughs> I hope I get to, I hope that in Mexico, I get to see you fire dance and play air keyboards. I just, well, I don't just, even, I don't even need to look at the stage. 
Uh, look, look for the inflatable banana. That's where our friends are going to be. <laughs> okay, will do. Uh, and this Harpua, I'm sorry, this Magrup, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Magrup doesn't even have its ending. It doesn't have its coda. It goes directly into Harpua, which is why yes. December 30th is always the night you don't miss. Well, but that's also why I'm saying that that's, you know, when, when I, you know, if I'm just looking for a perk up and I'm like, you know, what's going to make me feel better. December 30th, 1997. I'll just skip straight to the Magrup because it does feed right into the Harpua. A thousand percent. And tell us about this Harpua. Okay, well, I had never heard this song before because, again, you know, it it wasn't on any recordings that I'd heard. or And, you know, I'd only heard one live fish show. This song is not on any of the studio albums. They play the song. And, I mean, Harpua is a good song on its own. It's, like, dirty and funky. And then he starts getting into the narration part. And this is where, you know, two kids who have never don't know that fish does stuff like this <laughs> <laughs> you know, go on a wild harpua journey along with trey to you know watching lost in space in his uh you know house to being taken outside and making a weird pentagram uh you know contemplating olive lift the whole thing you're like what like what is he even saying you know like literally hanging on every single word as the story just gets weirder and weirder and weirder resulting in fog machine i know this is a long story but it's very profound and important so please listen and at the foot of the robot is this other ball squeezing squeak toy that I also had in my hand. So this completely, you know, I'm sitting here looking, here's this glaring of the other ball, and suddenly I realize that the robot is sending messages directly into my brain from the TV. And the messages are telling me, for the next week, I want you to collect little bits of food from the kitchen table whenever you have a meal and put it in your lunchbox and bring it to school. So the next morning, I wake up and I go to breakfast and we have fried eggs. I, I put a fried egg into my lunchbox and I brought it to school. I still don't know what all this means. And, you know, dinner that night, we had a steak and I put a steak into my lunchbox. Olives, you know, olive loaf, the whole thing, and little bits of food. And um, every day I'm bringing the stuff in my lunchbox to school. Well, on Friday of that week, I suddenly had a, 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 a profound feeling that I needed to be drawn to this spot out behind the middle school. And I started walking with my lunchbox full of food. Now, when I got to this little clearing that I had seen in the Lost in Space episode, I noticed that burned into the ground, there was a pentagram burned into the grass, a star, a five-pointed star. And I was 10 years old, so I opened up my lunchbox, and I take out the fried egg, and I knew what I had to do. I placed it on one corner of the pentagram on the star. And then I reached in and I took out the steak, and I placed it on the next corner of the star. I reached into my lunchbox and I pulled out the olive loaf. I placed it on the next part of the star. Olive loaf, olive loaf. 
I then reached into my lunchbox and I pulled out a carton of milk. I placed the carton of milk on the third star of the I reached into my lunchbox. I pulled out a sloppy joe. guy coming out in the middle of it and like we don't know who he is who's this random guy is he one of like the scottish guys <laughs> so and you know top marshall in a suit with the glasses when i wake up and you know <laughs> one of the most popular songs of the 90s i mean we freaked out of course we freaked out i mean wow you know if yeah how do you how are you not a fan for life forever after this harpoo holy crap how was your boyfriend at the time taking it? Oh, man, he loved it, too. I mean, uh, so, you know, let's all transport back into the 90s. You know, my first boyfriend was a very sweet guy who, you know, he wanted to be Dave Matthews when he grew up. Uh, the guy playing acoustic guitar at all, like the little friend parties when you're, you know, you're 15 and 16 and you can't go anywhere. <laughs> so other than like your friend's basement in New Jersey. So, yeah, you know, he loved it, too. He's a big music fan, so... They, when they played I'm Gonna Be, I have to tell you, I'm not going to lie, I was caught up in that song when it was huge. I was listening to Z100 all the time, top five at nine, hoping of that course. they would play that. And they did every time. So when they when they started singing, or when I say they, Trey and Tom Marshall, and the chorus of Da La Lata, and they started singing Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal Lecter. Oh, my gosh. That's another one. We were like, is he saying Hannibal Lecter? <laughs> You know, I'm a middle school teacher, and that joke of changing the lyrics from Dalalata to Hannibal Lecter, it's the exact same joke that a couple of 14-year-olds in their basement in New Jersey would make. And Absolutely. that's that's the bane, <laughs> right? That's the bane of fish. It's jokes they think are funny backstage and then sharing it with 18,000 people. bunch of weirdos co-creating the experience of the bunch of weirdos you're making it well said and after harpua ends i wrote well why not just blow the roof off the world's most famous arena why not oh, just mine. get a machine gun and just 
tear the whole place down. And they broke out Isabella. So good. I mean, and that was another one that, you know, we knew it because Jimi Hendrix we didn't know it because of fish. Yeah, it's fish, you know, they're they're the gateway drug to every, not every, but so much music. You know, you you unlock the you unlock your love of fish and you are now discovering an entire world that you may or may not have known existed in the world of music around you. And wow, Machine Gun Trey is there. You know, 1997, people just associate it with funk, but wow, was this band on fire. Oh my, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, shoot. After re-listening to this, I regretted leaving the Baker's Dozen the day early and missing the recent Isabella. (laughs) So, Man, we're talking about a lot of ones that got away tonight. But yeah, like Machine Gun Trey mixed with Band of Gypsies, Jimi Hendrix, that makes it the biggest party in New York City, right around New Year's Eve. Yeah, it was unbelievable. You know, when Fishman yells, go, go in the end, you know, it's it's something to pay attention to. You know, I I, re-listening to this, you know, you hear the go, go. But, uh, you know, when you're at the show, that's not what you hear. You know, that's one of the beautiful things of being able to revisit the music. Thank a taper today. Always thank every a taper. time. Yep. And they followed that up with Harry Hood. You know, if Isabella ended the set, no one would complain. But now we're at one of their best songs. Oh, man. One of the best versions of one of their best songs with all the crazy, awesome synth sounds and loop-de-loos in it. I mean, I, I love this version of Hood. I wanted to ask you, and if you remember this, 
around eight minutes, there's a lot of audience cheers. I assume it's for a glow stick war, but I wanted to ask if you remember. It's right in the middle of the jam, and there's nothing spectacular musically going on. There's no solo peaks. There's no new sounds. If you don't remember, you don't remember. I just figured it was worth a shot to ask. I mean, I don't remember, but, you know, everyone was still just all giddy on Tom Marshall, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm sure he'd love to hear so, that. I mean, I'm sure that it probably was just, you know, glow sticks and people being, you know, just generally excited because I don't remember anything specific. Um, that doesn't mean that something really cool wasn't happening and, you know, the 100 level below us and we just didn't see it, you know, but... After that fabulous jam of Harry Hood, they followed up with kind of a, a pair of fairly normal songs, considering what's going on in this ridiculous set of My Soul and Sleeping Monkey. And when I was re-listening to it, getting ready to speak with you, once Sleeping Monkey came around, I have to say, this is the set that just won't end. And they did close it eventually with Gaiute almost two hours after the set began. Wow. That's another, you know, it's so good, you know, it's, uh, and it doesn't, doesn't even matter that it's like slight, slightly teeny little bit of flubs in there. I mean, that it, it went places, people were with them. Everyone was along for the ride. Loved it. Loved it. And these days fish is very exact. They're very precise at the timing of their sets and at the shows, they look at the clocks that are on the sides of the stage. They know, how long they've been on. They know how much more they have to play until they take their breaks. They have to end at a certain time uh, to make sure that they get off stage. That seemed to kind of drift over the edge here because they come on for the encore and they play Carini. It's funny to hear now the almost silent response it gets from the audience compared to what we hear now. Uh, but this Encore is made up of, let's see, Karini, Black Eyed Katie, Sneak and Sally reprise, by the way. And then they close with Frankenstein, a 45 minute encore. What, so you, what train did you take to get home? <laughs> uh, I mean, whatever the last one was of the night, I don't remember, but it was definitely, I mean, I remember coming out of this one, we're like, we got to run downstairs right now. <laughs> Growing up in either New Jersey or Long Island, where I grew up, you really become an expert at navigating the tunnels of Madison Square Garden to get to Penn Station as quickly as you can. You know exactly where you're going. Right. Oh, yeah. To get to get to that track. Well, and even as a kid growing up in the area, I mean, I don't know if you grew up with the uh, Long Island sports teams, but, you know, I, gr I grew up in a family that was, you know, Yankees, Knicks, Giants. So, you know, I'd been to Madison Square Garden before, you know, with my dad for basketball games, you know, as a kid. So, you know, not the first rodeo, even though it's, you know, the third time I'd been allowed to go by myself. <laughs> yeah, not the same. Um, I grew up Yankees, Knicks and Rangers. Uh, we were football agnostic. We didn't have. But, OK, but that point is that, you know, so if you had two extra reasons to go to Madison Square Garden. So, you know, you're going for Rangers games, you're going for Knicks games. So you already have the lay of the lands like, before you're even going for fishy purposes, just being someone who grows up in the area. Yeah. No, I, I knew the blueprint basically, but yeah, it's this encore, I believe is about 40 minutes. The rumor that I've heard and that many have heard is that fish broke curfew with the beginning of Karini because the second set was so long. 
And once you break curfew at MSG, you pay for the hour of overtime. So you may as well pay for you may as well play for the whole hour. Then. <laughs> that's that's the rumor that they that they went. They didn't just go over. They went all out. And since they had the hour, they made the best use of what they paid for. So they opened. They the, really did. Yeah. They, <laughs> they opened this, the encore with Carini that the next few shows would be where the Don't Let Carini Get You would come up during the island tour, right? In early yes. 1998, after the New Year's Run 97. Black Eyed Katie, the proto-MoMA dance, which is less a song than more an exercise in funk jamming, but it works for me. And then they just play Sneak and Sally again, just for the hell of it. Oh, yeah. And I mean, everyone loved it because, you know, everyone loved a good reprise. Like harkens back to earlier in the show. It's a uniting moment. I mean, people were people were stoked. We loved it. And they closed the whole show with Frankenstein, which is I mean, it's virtually a third set at this I mean, point. It's one of the best clothing songs of ever, you know, I mean, Frankenstein always brings big energy. And this one has like an extra long chaos section in the middle. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's even before they get to the vacuum playing. And fabulous. I mean, no one could have walked out of this show displeased. I'm sure someone did because that's just the nature of fish fans. But God, no one hates fish more than a fish <laughs> fan, right? Exactly. Exactly. But no, I can't imagine a hater on this show. And if you are, maybe I should have you on, too, because I got to get <laughs> I got to get inside that brain. Oh, but wow, what a show. Uh, like I said, I think it pairs perfectly with the night before. But if you're if you're picking a favorite between the 29th and 30th or saying which one's better, it's just like saying, I don't know, you, you can't go wrong. It's picking a winner. It's like a million dollars or a million and one dollars. There's really no way to to pick a favorite here. Oh man, I mean, you know, I, I like listening back to the whole run, you know, the 29th is obviously, I mean, one of the technically like just most stunning shows they've ever played, but this one for me, I mean, it's you know, like we're saying, the Beyonce moment, you know, the fog and, you know, the 500 miles and it just the extra weird and that it's a super long show too. I mean, you know, you're you never want it to end and it kind of doesn't. <laughs> So, Kate, thank you so much for being on Attendance Bias again today. You're the greatest. Thanks for bringing the energy for talking about December 30th, 1997. And before we cut out of here, remind us again of everything you have to say regarding your fire dancing and uh, the accessibility of being able to see it. Yes. So you can watch us on Purple B TV. That's the social media. It's the at purple color B, uh, little insects. TV, television. <laughs> um, if, if you follow Purple Bee on social media, we announce all the live streams. Um, also on my personal Twitter and Instagram, which is just at Kate Fuego. Um, I always post when we do streams too. So just uh, follow me, follow Purple Bee. We'll post the links to where you can find, you know, YouTube, Twitch, Facebook Live, and our shows on Decentraland as well. And again, all of those links will be available in the show notes when this episode airs. So, Kate, thank you again for taking the time and for having such a great discussion. Well, thank you. And that's it for today's conversation with Kate of Austin, Texas. Since we were discussing a show that is nearly 25 years old, 
The emotion still hits hard, but sometimes the facts don't hit quite as hard. There are still a few corrections to be made for today's Attendance Bias Fact Check. Attendance Bias Fact Check When discussing the 1997 holiday run, I brought up that the show on December 28th is kind of the black sheep of the family. They played the show at the U.S. Air Arena in Landover, Maryland, which they only played once before on November 22nd, 1995, and they haven't played the venue since. Well, there's a good reason for that. The arena no longer exists. Its name changed to the Capitol Center before closing in 1999, and then the building was demolished in 2002. The show opening Sneak and Sally Through the Alley was the first version played in 920 shows up to that point. The previous time it had been played was on May 28, 1989 at Ian McLean's party, according to Fish.net. That show is different from the more popular Ian's Farm show, which was played on August 21, 1987. Both shows are available on Fish.in. And finally, after discussing ACDC Bag, the second set opener, I said that the song runs for, quote, about half an hour. The official timing of that track is 25 minutes and 25 seconds, so I guess I round it up. But that's it, and that's it for today's episode. I'd like to thank Kate Houlihan for joining me today, Fish.net for the extensive help during the fact check, and Fish.in for the recording used in today's episode. And if you enjoy Attendance Bias, please support the show by leaving a rating and a review of it on your favorite podcast app. And follow Attendance Bias on social media. I am most active on Instagram and Twitter. If you reach out and say hello, I'll send you a free sticker. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next week on Attendance Bias. <laughs>